This morning we are returning uh, to our text in Colossians chapter 3. Um, I'll be reading kind of the, the basic uh, passage, but spending our focus um, will be on verse 14. We've been addressing how do we get dressed for Christmas? What does that look like? And, and as we're talking about getting dressed, we're, we're not talking about, you know, um, uh, what to wear to the, the Christmas party. Um, well, remember those. Um, we're not talking about, you know, when the, uh, your, your place of work has ugly uh, uh, Christmas sweater day. That's not what we're, we're talking about. We're, we're talking about getting, being clothed um, with the virtues of Christ. We're, we're talking about um, spiritual clothing. And so as we focus in uh, today, we're, we're focusing in on that one virtue, the one virtue that rules them all. Um, that's the virtue of love. You know, I, I can think, um, you know, as we talk about love, um, you know, some of you I, I, I'm, I'm encouraged and inspired by um, because you're just so good. It, it just almost seems like it's just so natural in the way that God's love just flows through you. I, I know for me, as I think about this particular topic, I, I feel like, man, I need to preach to myself because I feel like I fall so far short. And the truth is that there's some, you know, to a great degree, when we look at the bar that the Bible sets, the bar that Christ models for us, well, we all fall short. We all fall short. And so as we look at, you know, this exhortation to um, be clothed in love, uh, this is just a, an opportunity for all of us to be reminded, to be encouraged, uh, to continue to recognize the importance of growing in love, and love that is biblically defined. You know, the encouragement is, is that as we, we are able to do this, um, well, it results in blessing, not just for us as individuals, but but it blesses our households. It blesses our neighborhoods. It blesses our church and our communities. There is great um, potential in just the, the power of Christian, of Christ's love to impact and to touch lives in a way that the world uh, needs to be impacted. And so um, as we look at this topic, I just want you to feel from the start that the stakes are high. You know, this isn't just about, you know, doing good deeds or being a good person, but it's modeling, it's allowing the love of Christ um, to really flow through us. Would you stand then for the reading of the Word of God? This is Colossians three twelve through 15. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Would you pray with me? Father, as we come today, it is our sincere desire to walk with Jesus better. Spirit of the living God, we thank you for the word that you have inspired and pray that it would shape us 
and mold us into true sons and daughters of the Most High King. And so we pray this for the sake of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. I want to start just where Paul starts in this little verse. Uh, just a, um, It almost seems if you're reading it quickly, I mean, it's just a very summary, a general passage about um, love, the love that we're to show. Um, I think it, it, it begins with uh, love for God, but, but it flows into love for others. And so as we start, I, I want to start with the priority of love. I, I want to try to stress the importance of our theme, of our topic. And the way I want to do that is just simply by, um, well, I'll begin with Colossians 3.14, but then just read through just some of the um, passages uh, uh, within the New Testament that just speak to this theme of love. Uh, the priorities emphasized in our passage, and, and so this is where I'm, I'm just kind of just jumping from, where Paul begins, and above all things, above all things, put on love. Now, he's just talked about really important virtues. Um, He's talked about having compassionate hearts. He's talked about kindness and gentleness and humility and, and, and patience and learning how to endure, to bear with one another through difficult times and forgiving each other, you know, uh, regularly and freely. So he's talked about some very um, uh, mightily important virtues necessary for the unity and harmony of Christ's church. But then when it comes to this virtue, he says it's above all. And this is not an isolated occurrence. So let me just, I'm just going to read some of these passages, beginning with just some verses from the great love chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And here he speaks negatively. He says, this isn't what love looks like. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am what? Nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. You can be, so what he's just described as being a really good, not just a good person, but a good religious person, exercising, you know, in some sense, the spiritual gifts of God. But if he says, if those things are done without love, it's worthless, it's empty. And so then he sums it up in verse 13. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, you know, the greatest of the the Christian virtues. These three. But the greatest of these is love. And then Galatians 5, uh, verse 6 and 14. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 1 Timothy 1.5, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. 
And then on the night of his arrest, hear these words from Jesus. A new commandment I give to you. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Romans 13, owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. And Ephesians 5, 2, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. There the bar is set high. But there we're also told that this just, it just is a fragrant uh, aroma uh, in the presence of God. 1 John 4, 8, anyone who does not love does not know. I take that as they don't understand God. Why? Because God is love. Now, this is only a selection of the passages within the New Testament uh, which um, speak about the importance, the, the priority, the necessity of love, stressing that it's the most important of the virtues. Now, you think about that. We think, oh, man, I, I need to be courageous. I need to be humble. I need to, um, I, I, I need to learn how to, um, uh, to be generous. I need to do these things. And, and, and as important as these other virtues are, Love is the most important one. And this is where, okay, so I think, you know, our, our society focuses on, you know, brave leadership or honesty and truth-telling and authenticity and these sorts of things. And the Bible is saying that as important as those things may be uh, uh, behind that and more important is this virtue of love. Second, we learn from Colossians 3.14 that love brings harmony to our attitude and character. It brings unity to the body of Christ. We see this right away. And and now I'm just going to quote, just give it a little different um, sense um, from Eugene Peterson's The Message. It's a a paraphrase. So he quotes this, this verse, and regardless of what else you put on, wear love. It's your basic, all-purpose garment. Never be without it. When the Bible speaks of of love um, here, he says it it binds everything together in perfect harmony. It seems like it's just continuing this metaphor of of getting dressed. And and, and, and what love does is, in some sense, it holds all the other virtues together. So some people describe it as the belt, you know, that you put on, or a sash that kind of ties the colors together. Other commentators um, use the idea of a coat, this kind of layer of love that keeps all the other virtues warm, heated. Over all of these things, uh, we are to put on love. According to the Greek philosopher Plato, it was the law that was believed to be strong enough to hold a community together. Good law, good community, Plato. According to the Apostle Paul, when we're thinking about the church at least, It's not about love. I mean, not about the law. It's about love. It's love that holds the community together. It's love that unites. Love seems to be the animating virtue. It's the motivation to have compassionate hearts and kindness and gentleness that animates us to look past our own needs and to the interests of others. 
It's love that keeps us from writing people off and to endure patiently with others, to forgive as the occasion warrants. Love animates, and it helps provide direction. It provides uh, spirit to the other virtues. We're also told that um, the word here is agape. And, and, and agape is kind of, you know, as I was it used to be that, you know, we had more specific def- definitions. Agape was, was kind of this, this, um, uh, this love that's from the will. You know, you choose uh, to love. And, and then when we're talking about the, the philos, the, where we get Philadelphia, this brotherly love. This is the love of friendship. But the more um, in recent years scholars have looked into these words and how they're used, Agape just seems to be used all over the place. It's kind of the way we use love in English to cover a multitude of ideas. Uh, Well, it turns out agape covers a lot of these ideas, but it does have this idea of being, and especially in this context, of being this this desire, this choice to seek the well-being of others as God defines it. Okay, It is this desire or, and choice to seek the well-being of others as God defines it. Well, how does God define it? Well, he defines it through his law. This is why um, uh, the, uh, that to love God and to love others is a way to summarize. It gets at the heart of the Ten Commandments. When we, um, uh, when we put away idols... We worship God alone. We learn to reverence the name of God. When we take one day in seven to honor God as king, the Bible's defining for us, this is in part how you show love to God. And then it says, this is how you show love to others. Well, you show love to others as you learn to honor those in authority. As you learn to (laughs) hold your temper back and and not want to harm or certainly kill uh, someone else. You are faithful in your relationships, especially in your marriage. So uh, no adultery, no lying. We tell the truth. We're, we're, we speak the truth. We're honest with one another. We respect one another's property. We don't covet what others have. This is how God is informing. He's giving content to our love. And that also means that this love is not like, you know, mushy, you know, warmed over oatmeal. This is not just trying to make people feel good. When love is defined the way God defines it, sometimes telling people the truth in the short term is going to feel painful for both the, the, the truth teller and for the person. And, and certainly we want to speak the truth in love. But with that said, sometimes, you know, even though it leads to long-term blessing, in the short term, you know, speaking that truth can be Hard. It can be painful. And so this is love that is defined by God. Thirdly, when we love, we're encouraged to cultivate love. Why? Because this is what God is like. This is, it's not just God is saying, I, I just want you, I think you should act, you know, and, and cultivate um, uh, this, this spirit, this desire for the well-being of others as if this is good for you, but not, at, at, this isn't part of who God is. No, that's not it at all. Um, we know that God himself is love. One of my fond memories from seminary 
was when uh, a group of students traveled to um, Israel and, uh, and to Egypt. It was led by our, um, our Hebrew professor, Dr. Gary Pratico. And as part of our trip, they, they take you to um, the main location where they believe Mount Sinai was. They're not positive, but, but there is this location where they believe is Mount Horeb, also known as Mount Sinai. There's a, I, I recall there was this, um, to mark the spot, there's this Orthodox, um, like a monastery, right at the base of the mountain. And, and there, you can climb up. There's a well-marked uh, uh, paths now. And we climb up to the top of Mount Sinai, and our professor sits us all down, and he says, just look out. And when you look out, you see this rocky, desert, barren, harsh wilderness. And it was interesting. Our our professor took out his Bible, and and he said, you know, often when people are here, they they look out, and and they think, um, the God that we worship must be a mirror of this wilderness. As the wilderness is harsh, so often people think of God as harsh. But then he took us to um, Exodus chapter 34. And this is the account where Moses goes back up um, to Mount Sinai. He goes up by himself, and, and we read this, that the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with Moses there, and proclaim the name of the Lord. And this is what the Lord, how the Lord describes himself. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Right there at Mount Sinai, you know, where the mountain's shaking and, and, and you know, the, God delivers the Ten Commandments. Actually, when God reveals himself, he reveals himself emphasizing his steadfast love that abounds and that overflows. Turning to 1 John, love is um, perhaps the great theme of John's letter um, in 1 John. And and beginning in verse 7, here's what John writes. Beloved, let us love one another. Why? For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Why? Because God is love. We have to internalize this truth. It has to like sink into our bones that, yeah, you know, I, I guess um, one of my systematic theologian, um, uh, theology teachers, Dr. David Wells, um, written a lot of great books about the, the needs of the church. And, but as he talked about the, the attributes of God, he liked to talk about God in terms of his uh, his love and his holiness, or his holy love. He, he would combine them as these two central attributes that sort of at the center of who God is, his holiness and his love. And we have to hold these two um, attributes together. But we often, in, when we see the blazing glory, we, we think of the holiness of God, and we often lose sight of the love which animates God in all that he does. Well, how do we see the love in him? 
Well, he continues, he tells us, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And then the second truth. Here's what matters, he says. In this is love. So he's saying, I'm going to come back. I want you to understand what I'm talking about, what I want to emphasize when I'm talking about love. And it's surprising. He says, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. We love because this is what God is like. And what John wants you also to know is that the starting point, when we talk about this, this need to be clothed in love, above all, you know, put on love, what John is saying is, but that's not where you start. <laughs> you don't leave here and just think, oh, I've got to be a better, you know, better at showing my love for others. I've got to be a more other-centered person. I've got to get outside of myself, all of which may be true. But what John is saying, don't start there. Don't start with your love for God or your love for others. Because when you start looking at that, you know, I, many of you are going to be really discouraged. Okay. And, and this is necessarily so because of our fallen nature. Now, where you start in this, this quest to cultivate this beautiful love is you start with God's love. And you start with God's love for you. Okay, You start with the idea that God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. You start with a love that led God to create this fantastic world of beauty. You start with a love of a God who supplies our needs, and not just our needs, but often our wants as well. You start with a God who so loved us that he gave up that which was most precious in spite of the fact that we were undeserving and unworthy at the time when he decided to send his one and only son. We start with the perfect love of God. We need to know that we are dearly beloved, as the apostle says at the start in Colossians 3.12. This is how God looks at us. And, and the reason why um, now that, that God can just demonstrate his overflowing love to his children is because we are in the beloved. We are in, we are, our lives are theologically and spiritually hidden in Christ. And that means not only have our sins been taken away, but now when God looks at us, he sees the goodness of Christ. He's, he's not looking at your love and, and whether that love faltered through the day or over the course of a week. He sees you through the love of Christ, which never faltered, that never failed, that never gave up, that never wrote anyone off. He sees us through the the perfect love of Christ. That love of Christ is credited to you. And this is why why God can just, his love just overflows to his children. And this is where we have to begin. This This is... the Apostle, Apostle John saying, this is where you start. And then when you're secure in the Father's love, when you're confident, that there's nothing you can do to lose your Father's love. Then with gratitude and with freedom and space, knowing that God will supply our needs, we're free. 
then to look to the needs of others. And we're also encouraged then by the great model of Jesus in the way that he loved. Last week, the focus was on forgiveness. And this is a key manifestation of love. Love forgives. And love also gives. John 3.16, it was read as part of the, um, uh, the Advent wreath reading. For God so loved the world. He so loved. How is that love demonstrated? Well, he gave through giving his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. The kind of love that so often reaches people, that touches them, that renews them, that encourages them, is this love that is the result of being the recipient of generosity. People recognize a need, and, and then someone hears about the need, and they meet that need. You, you're like, oh, I feel loved. This is what God has done. He has given us this, the ultimate gift of love, And Jesus uh, voluntarily um, participating in this, of course, giving his own life. We, too, um, are to learn how to be generous and open-handed in our our giving. Just this morning, I I was reading about um, uh, ESPN had a story just uh, posted two days ago concerning Johnny Bench. Johnny Bench, in order to, um, my understanding is he wanted to... to, um, have money in order to help support his, I think, his grandkids to go to college. But apparently he didn't just have the money to give them. So he sold, he put on auction all of his memorabilia, including like his World Series rings from 1975 and 76, his uh, Most Valuable Player awards and trophies, his golden gloves. He put it all up for auction to raise this money to, for um, uh, this these, uh, college money. A friend of his heard about what he was doing and purchased all of this memorabilia for over a million dollars. And then he returned the memorabilia to Johnny Bench, saying that, Johnny, this belongs to you. Now, you hear that story, you can't help but be like, touched. This is what giving does. This is, this is one of the, the, the great ways in which love is practically, tangibly demonstrated. Now, I know we're coming to Christmas. This, you know, this is the great gift-giving season, right? And we have to be careful here because our own sinful hearts can even use this theme of being gift-givers against us. Well, what do I mean? It's, there's a temptation in giving gifts to do so according to the law of, of reciprocity. Okay, what do I mean? Okay, so, you know, um, uh, uh, many people send out Christmas cards. And it's so easy to think, oh, I didn't get a card from this person, you know, in return. Uh, you know, maybe I'm going to take them off my list. Or just the reverse. You get a card from somebody who wasn't on your list, and you go, oh, no, i got to get them on my list now. There's just something within us, that this law of reciprocity. Or, okay, so this is another place where it shows up. You know, someone, um, you give and give and give maybe to someone, and, and, and they don't seem to uh, either be grateful or, or to um, uh, return the gift. And, and you think, after all I've done, they don't do anything? 
Now, what's in operation there? There's a little bit of self in that, isn't there? There's a little bit of this, this law of reciprocity at work. And what we want to learn to do is to give open-handed without thought of the return. That's true giving. Jesus, in fact, he encourages us to give to those who are unable to return in kind so that you don't lose your, your reward in heaven, Jesus says. So that's just one of the dangers. And, you know, being Christmas, just a little helpful exhortation. We can give to a person in the manner in which we receive a gift, right? So you receive, you know, a gift that, um, some slippers. And when you've got, you know, a half dozen pairs in your closet, um, and it's easy to think, oh, (laughs) this is the last thing I need, right? And and you might even roll your eyes without thinking about it. No, we can offer a gift to the giver by learning to receive with with the attitude that this person is wanting to communicate their love for me. And I receive that and want to honor that communication by receiving the gift with great gratefulness, uh, with gratitude. This love that gives can also have a great impact on the surrounding community. Um, and I'll, I'll close here. The early church understood the power of giving. And I came across this quote from the fourth century from an unbelieving Roman emperor known as Julian. Uh, He's actually known as Julian the Apostate. And he pens these words concerning the Christian community. He writes, When it came about that the poor were neglected and overlooked by the pagan priests, then I think those impious Galileans... That's how the emperor referred to the Christians, those impious Galileans. They observed this fact, and they devoted themselves to philanthropy. The Galileans also begin with their so-called love feasts, their hospitality and service of tables, for they have many ways of carrying it out, and hence call it by many names. And the result is that they have led very many into atheism. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? Atheism. Well, Christianity was viewed as atheism because they rejected all the gods except for Jesus. And to the pagans, this sounded like atheism to them. Now, it's really interesting uh, to hear this um, uh, uh, frustrated um, and offended pagan talk about the Christians. But the point is that the witness of that Christian community was so powerful that it came to the attention of the emperor. Today, that is still the potential of getting a hold of this Christ-modeled and Christ-given, Christ-soaked love. And this is something we have to do together. It can't just be an individual here and there to have this kind of impact on the surrounding community. This is something we need to encourage one another And as a community, as a church, grow in, you know, trusting uh, that the Lord will provide our needs as we reach out with the crazy love of God, as Francis Chan likes to describe it. Would you bow your heads with me? Our Lord and our God, you are our good shepherd. And only you can cause um, and create the love we need within us, that love that is that is modeled by Jesus. 
And so, Lord, we pray that by your Spirit, you would cause your love to take root and to grow up in our lives. Bless the seed of your word planted in our souls and fill us with your Holy Spirit that we would live and, 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 and learn to think and, and give the way you would have us, a way that would bring glory to your name and would bless your kingdom. And so, Lord, we ask it for the sake of Jesus, our Savior, and our, and our God and our King. Amen.